Currently, there are about 1.7 million electric vehicles in the U.S., but experts are predicting that by 2050, half of the cars on American roads will be EVs. According to Bloomberg, over half of the cars sold in the U.S. will be electric by 2030. Now, while this growth is impressive from a sustainability perspective, this is going to cause some other challenges around battery innovations, the electrical grid, infrastructure, uh, recharging standards, and how this is going to impact a whole bunch of other areas. We're going to discuss these challenges with an expert in the EV space next up on Today in Tech. Hi, everyone. I'm Keith Shaw. I'm joined today by Nick Tat. He's the principal and North American lead for EV and connected auto at Capgemini Invent. Nick is a pioneer in the electric vehicles and mobility space, having led electric and connected vehicle programs in fleets, car sharing, micro mobility and ride sharing. Welcome, Nick. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, let's um, let's get an overview of, of sort of the, the bigger picture at the moment. Um, has the growth of an expansion of electric vehicles that we've seen over the past few years, has that really spurred innovation within the battery space or has it sort of been steady over the last, you know, five to 10 years? Or is it is it more of a kind of an exponential curve that we're seeing? Yeah, I think it's really interesting um, to think about electric vehicles uh, in terms of the innovations in the battery space. Traditionally, uh, we've looked at batteries uh, primarily for consumer electronics goods, uh, but now in the battery uh, electric vehicle space, right. it has spurred that innovation um, to really skyrocket, right? Because uh, what we used to traditionally look at is like, oh, how long can my cell phone run without recharging? Now we're looking at it from a transportation perspective is, um, you know, one of the things that everyone looks to is range anxiety, right? Uh, one of the first things that people ask when they buy a car is, hey, what is the range of this car? Right. But when you look at ICE vehicles, that was never a case. You don't go into a dealership and ask a salesperson, hey, what's the size of my gas tank, Right. Now, now, as the as the batteries have gone from some, you know, again, the batteries we're talking about are lithium ion batteries, correct? Correct. Yeah. So that's currently the uh, main uh, technology in the battery electric vehicles. Okay. And as they've gone from sort of the smaller batteries that you see in your, your, your cell phone or some other gadgets, as they've gotten bigger, is it just, is it just that they've just increased the size or has the, the, (laughs) this is going to be a technical turn, has the stuff inside changed as well? Yeah, so what's going uh, what has happened is that the chemistry uh, within the, uh, the batteries itself has changed okay. um, incrementally, right? Because we're still dealing with the core product, which is lithium ion. Uh, and then the other materials that are in there is like nickel, manganese, cobalt, etc. Uh, and what's going on is that we're changing some of the chemistry, some design, uh, and some of the construction uh, and changing little parts of it to kind of create the ideal lithium ion battery for the scenario that we're using it for. Uh, in this case, uh, you know, the uh, original electric vehicles were kind of very similar to the same batteries that were in your uh, laptops or your cell phones. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we've done is understood that the external challenges of operating an electric vehicle in, you know, the actual environment uh, outside of an office space or a home uh, does need to have some of those little changes in the battery space. So we've considered, um, you know, obviously much bigger battery packs, but also understanding the extreme heat 
uh, and the cold and, you know, rain and all these other conditions that yep. are out there in the world. Yeah. And, and chemistry and materials are a much better word than stuff. So thank you for um, <laughs> not making fun of me there for that. Um, but the, within the lithium ion space, though, there's not it's not just one size fits all. There are a, a number of different sort of flavors within lithium ion. Correct. Uh, you know, can you go through some of the pros and cons or is there a dominant sort of design that that's that's currently winning out in for EVs? Yeah, when we're talking about EVs, the primary, um, you know, chemistry that we're using is lithium ion phosphate uh, or another version of it is going to be nickel manganese cobalt. Uh, the goal here is to try to create batteries that work really well uh, in all those weather conditions that we're talking about. Primarily, uh, right now, we're trying to deal with understanding cold weather conditions. Mm -hmm. um, the other factor is obviously trying to change some of that uh, battery uh, construction because of supply chain issues and also because of the manufacturing, right? Um, that's coming up in the uh, some of the administration uh, where the incentives are based on the origins of the battery. But when we're thinking about manufacturing a vehicle, um, the battery itself is one of the biggest components of an electric vehicle and it costs a lot of money to transport it from point A to point B. Uh, so a lot of times it just makes sense to start creating, building that battery pack as close as possible to where the vehicle is being manufactured so you can just snap the two pieces together when they're ready. Uh, did In terms of the size of the batteries that we're seeing now for EVs, are, are we still in a transition period there in terms of whether batteries are going to get bigger or smaller? Because I know that as as technologies innovate, you know, some most of the times the battery gets smaller for the same amount of power or whatever, but... Or is it something where the batteries might get bigger so that they can last longer? Like, we're, we're, you know, or are we are we set with kind of like the the perfect size for for the EV battery at this point? Yeah, in terms of that, you're looking at the entirety of the vehicle and the vehicle chassis, uh -huh. right? Um, right now, what we're doing is turning the batteries into a structural component within the vehicle, trying to build it. Um, you know, in the lowest point of gravity, because anything higher than that changes the, the way a vehicle operates. So if you look at it from a holistic view, um, the battery is sort of limited uh, in terms of where to space, uh, where to place it within the vehicle chassis and how big to make it. So those room, that room is kind of finite, right? And what we're trying to do is create new um, ways to create these batteries to kind of mold them into shape, mm -hmm. into shapes and fit them into um, that space. Uh, and so if you look at it from a perspective of like, oh, we could go from cylindrical shell uh, cells to prismatic cells to battery packs and bags and pouches design, all of these, these are all different ways to sort of fit the battery into the space that's allotted by the engineers. As we get further into new vehicle development, uh, and new battery development, we can start sort of changing that around uh, with some of these new battery technology as we're moving into more of a solid state battery where it's no longer um, very liquid um, cell based. Uh, you can sort of create a little bit more stable um, construction. Right, right. And so can you talk a little bit about the difference between sort of the regular lithium ion and now the solid state? Um, it, it feels like solid state is is the next generation or the next advance, right? 
Yeah, that's what we're, um, that's what all the research is showing, you know, as we're moving from a lithium ion battery, which is primarily a lot of liquid, um, not a lot, but there's liquid within those cells. That's sort of the reason why it sorts, um, it is affected by external conditions. When we move into a solid state, uh, if you think about it, uh, that should not be as impacted greatly. There's still a little bit of impact, but mm -hmm. it's almost negligible compared to the liquid. Uh, that we're talking about right now. So in the liquid form, you got to heat it, cool it. It, it operates in a, in a optimal temperature range versus in a solid state, that optimal temperature range is much, much bigger. Uh, and so unless you're in the far extreme ends of it, it really doesn't affect it. Solid state still very, very new technology. Um, there's a lot of companies uh, making a lot of inroads in this space, uh, but that is what all the experts and all our research is showing as to be the next generation, but it's still many years out. Okay. And so, and, and I know you mentioned some of the challenges. Uh, so I, I, I'm going to put challenges on sort of the, the con space of the pros and cons. Uh, you did mention yeah. cold weather, I think is one of the big challenge is one of the big challenges, but I think, you know, when we talked before too, you were saying like the, a lot of these are, um, are fire hazard, not fire hazard, but you know some of them there is a heat and fire potential that that people need to know about right or is that yeah what's going on is that um in the electric vehicle space if you look at these batteries um you know the chemistry involves using uh the electrons flowing back and forth right uh and, and in a in a liquid form when it's flowing back and forth it creates excess energy and heat uh and sometimes these little minor imperfections which may be um you know the technical term they were saying is that it creates things called dendrites which then creates a short in it when you create a short it creates a fire hazard uh and this is something that's been known uh within the lithium ion battery it's a downfall in that space but what we're trying to do is to understand how to manufacture those batteries in a much better um, way to eliminate or mitigate that risk. Because if you think back into, um, you know, many, many years ago, uh, cell phones, laptops, you know, kind of went through that same uh, phase where there were uh, certain fire hazards, depending on how you store, how you use it. Uh, and the same thing happened with EVs. Uh, and when you're reaching this market saturation where there's just so many units, you know, there is that, you know, potential for failure. Yeah. Is that, is that uh, why it's a you, much smaller case? Is that why you see some, some things on YouTube where you see a car on fire because it's one of those, you know, one of those rare, like how rare is that? Is it, is it a really rare and, and uncommon occurrence it that is, this happens? Yeah. Statistically it's very, very rare. Uh, when you look at the amount of, uh, vehicles out there, right. Mm -hmm. Um, but because it is a new technology, there's a lot of media attention on it. Okay. Um, but I just want to, you know, assure everyone that this uh, battery technology has grown a lot. Uh, and what we're working on right now is making sure that those things don't happen. Yeah. Right? What's the, so what's the, the main the main thing on how people are going to then sort of, you know, minimize the risk of, of a battery catching on fire? Yeah. What's going on is that um, the new battery production uh, you know, with some of these elimination of certain chemistries uh, within the batteries itself is creating less of a fire hazard uh, moving forward. And that's just something that R&D and technology is making a lot of um, strides towards. Uh, and that's the new technology that's being used in vehicles today. Okay. And, and so, you know, with the demand for all of these cars um, and, and demand for now uh, 
larger or better batteries and more batteries. Um, getting the resources for this, getting the materials that you need, it, there's a lot of kind of issues around that because, you know, lithium, nickel, cobalt, graphite, there, there's a lot of different kind of processes, a lot of materials that are needed. And sometimes you hear stories about how they're being extracted and issues and where. I know there was a, there was a Wall Street Journal story a couple of weeks ago about uh, the U.S. wanting to produce more of these uh types of materials because a a large majority of these are currently uh, being mined in China. And so, you know, there's a reliance on China once again for uh, a lot of these materials. Like, do you see these problems also coming to the forefront as demand goes up? Well, what's going on is that we're trying to understand supply chain issues. And as I said earlier, um, the whole goal of this is to create batteries as close as possible to where the vehicles are being manufactured. And as we look at it from a global perspective, you know, it doesn't matter where we're making um, the vehicles itself, um, the battery plant needs to be as close as possible to that plant. So when we're looking at the US, you know, uh, wherever we pick a plant uh, for the new electric vehicle, what we want to do is to build a battery plant very, very close to that to minimize uh, the transportation uh, cost uh, to move those back and forth. So as we look at raw materials, obviously we want to pick raw materials to be moved into that battery plant as well. So I think those are the kind of factors that a lot of the manufacturers are looking at uh, to understand how to um, how to build the next generation of electric vehicles. Okay, and and are we now so far down the path of? Uh, kind of development with lithium-ion that it's too late to explore other alternative kind of power sources? Like, you know, I hear things about fuel cells, uh, you know, hydrogen fuel cell technology, mainly in the aerial vehicle space, but I'm I'm sure that there's probably some uh, stuff for for mobile vehicles as well and cars. Is there still space for sort of hydrogen fuel cell or other kind of technologies that aren't lithium-ion or is it like it's lithium-ion or bust? No, no, no. It's not. It's definitely not lithium ion or bust. Okay. There is room for all these other um, competing. Uh, I don't want to say competing, you know, because it's not a zero sum game. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, alternative. There or, is or, a lot of yeah. alternative uh, technologies out there, such as hydrogen fuel cell. Uh, it is important to start doing R and D and understanding technology in all these other spaces. There's going to be room for many different technologies, depending on the application that we're looking at, right? Because even if we look at the history of battery technology, you know, even today, there's still room for alkaline batteries, even though it's a very, very old technology. So to think about that in terms of transportation uh, and any vehicles that we're looking at, you know, to think that lithium ion or bust um, really shouldn't be that mantra, right? Because if we look at hydrogen fuel cell, there is a use case for it depending on certain situations, right? Um, You know, if we look at hydrogen, uh, you know, coming to the forefront, it is taking a lot of, um, it is being used uh, a lot in maritime industry. And you also talked about aerial, Uh, you know, there is an understanding that that could be where it will play a really, really big space. Yeah. Yeah. But in terms of passenger cars, um, I think that, uh, you know, we're looking at, lithium ion batteries, not specifically at that batteries, but just in general battery electric vehicle is probably that little niche um, that fits really, really well for passenger cars. Okay. If we're looking at hydrogen fuel cell into that, 
Uh, you know, there has been a lot of uh, trials in that space, but as of right now, uh, most of the manufacturers and R&D is going into batteries. Right, uh, right. EV. Yeah, I think hydrogen also has that issue of of needing better PR only because of like the the you know the the Hindenburg when when it crashed you know in in the 1920s or whenever that was it, that sort of ruined hydrogen for a long time because you know because of that explosion um, and I think people are a little nervous about that you're like you mean what do you mean I've got hydrogen in my car I don't think they that people want that uh, all right let's take a I want to take a bigger sort of a uh, bigger view noticing that there's a demand out there uh, and, and we're going to see more vehicles on the road. We're going to see more batteries being produced. Um, what kind of changes are going to be needed at the infrastructure level? Cause you wrote a great, a great uh, opinion piece about the upcoming EV gridlock um, that, that, that a lot of utilities are going to face. Like what are, what changes are going to be needed, you know, for electricity that's being produced? Because, you know, I think a majority of the electricity that gets produced is still relying on a lot of fossil fuels and things like that. So go over some of the big changes or innovations that are going to be needed in that space. Well, I think you touched on it earlier with a statistic that says that most of the, uh, I believe half of the uh, EVs, uh, half of the vehicles uh, in the U.S. is predicted to become electric by 2040 or 2050. Right. I forgot what statistic like, you used. Yeah. Um, but at that point, what we're looking at uh, from a big picture perspective is that the electric power grid uh, currently isn't um, uh, providing enough power to support that type of mass electrification, mass adoption of electrification right. uh, of the uh, vehicle space, right? So what we're talking about is trying to get electric utilities um, to start understanding that there's going to be a huge demand uh, for, for electricity, right? Uh, as we were going through the pandemic, we sort of saw a shift, right, in power consumption. And that changed a lot of things that the electric utility uses to predict uh, where to, you know, push power, uh, who's going to use power that all changed because what was primarily, let's say eight to six PM yep. at office buildings and central office uh, districts. Right. Now we're farmed out to houses, right? Because everyone's distributed. So we're looking at that with today's technology, uh, today's use case where we're telling people buy electric cars, charge them overnight because that's the least demand uh, of vehicles. Um, but as we get into the future, when there's more and more electric vehicles and we're telling people to charge overnight, charge overnight, but that's traditionally when electric utilities produce the least amount of power because they're, you know, bringing it down, they're doing maintenance, yeah. they're doing all kinds of things. Um, and because there isn't a lot of consumption of power, right. But telling everyone to charge the car overnight changes that completely. Right. And, and the demand, you know, if, if there is a big demand for that many cars that need to be recharged that's going to just isn't that going to just drive the the cost of electricity up for a lot of people it just feels like it's going to cost a lot more money for your electric bill than than currently right yeah i'm not an expert in electricity okay. price demand uh modeling and all of that um but what we understand is that the electric utilities needs to start thinking about that demand planning right and then pricing it accordingly uh, because the last thing we want to do is to make it too expensive um, that people stop driving their vehicles or start stop um, you know charging their vehicles, right? Uh, in this case, what we're looking at is just uh, um, 
a way to start thinking more future uh, and have that sort of understanding, right? Uh, as we're looking into more and more intelligent vehicles that are being produced nowadays, there's so many data points that are coming off of these cars that we can have that data point plugged into the greater overall system of data uh, and really start doing that planning and demand. Uh, because if you think about today, right, you have smart charging on your cell phones, right? Because your phone understands your calendar and knows that you wake up at 5 a.m. every day. So that means I need to charge that cell phone, have it ready for you to go by 5 a.m. Okay. Well, we can take that same uh, thought process and put it into a car. Now, knowing that everyone drives very differently, right? Some people may only use their car in the middle of the day, especially as we start more and more work from home versus some people uh, may have a commute at 6 a.m. You know, that sort of uh, granular data plugs uh, from the car itself, plugs into the charging uh, system, uh, which then plugs into the utility grid. And so now everyone understands um, that whole system. Uh, and then we can start predicting how to power generate um, to even out that demand. Another benefit that we're talking about when it comes to electric vehicles is they kind of serve as battery packs, right? Um, and we can actually use bi-directional charging to have that battery uh, on the vehicle help feed the grid. Okay. Uh, we saw that during um, some of the um, ice storms that were in Texas, as well as some of the um, the other power um, loss scenarios out west, uh, where the uh, electric batteries were able to feed power back in the grid to help um, satisfy some of that uh, demand that was unplanned for, right? Uh, and so that's a it, that's a nice little benefit that we can start having as more and more electric vehicles start coming out. Right. Is is that's what you're talking about when you when you mention you know terms like backfill or um, sort of storage system microgrids, or is that more of a um, a way to prevent brownouts in the future? Well, what we're talking about here is vehicle to everything. Uh, you know, vehicle to everything has a little a lot of sub. Um, categories involved. There's vehicle to grid, vehicle to building, vehicle to home. Uh, and that vehicle becomes a giant battery pack that feeds back into the system, depending on whatever scenarios you you want it to, right? Because if we look at uh, preventing brownout situations, we can program it for that. Uh, it takes a lot of different partners uh, in that ecosystem to play together um, to set that up. But if you wanted to just power your home, you can also do that, right? Uh, where the vehicle might power your home in, in uh, times of demand. Uh, and when we're talking about that kind of like a microgrid scenario, this becomes very interesting, right? Because we're looking at solar power, maybe geothermal, maybe wind power. Um, and your home, you can start using uh, solar power to charge your car um, during the daytime. Uh, and then you can have that car sort of feed back into the system during nighttime. And then that way you're a, a lot less... Uh, reliant on the general grid itself, which helps with the grid resiliency. Uh, and then just like you mentioned earlier, there is backfill, right? There's times where the utility company may call out um, and say, hey, we need more power. And then this is one way to satisfy the demand. Okay. And so, you know, I think I want to also then sort of talk about um, how driving habits may change as well, because if it, it all depends on when. So I, I guess the big assumption is that most people will be charging their cars overnight. 
But does this mean that like the the days of the road trip will be over? Because, you know, when you take a road trip with a gas car, for example, you know, you go a certain amount and then you're out of gas and you stop at a gas station, you fill up and you can keep going. Um, But it feels like you will. Maybe I'm just not thinking of how how it's going to look. But what is the future going to be looking like so that we could still have sort of road trips? Um, because you you can't just take a gas station and replace it with electric chargers, right? Because it still takes too long to recharge a vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. So what we're seeing is that there's a a much bigger play in the general partnership out there, right? Because what used to be, I need to go to a gas station to refuel my car. Mm-hmm. Now electricity is everywhere. You don't have to just go. Uh, to a certain place um, that's dedicated to it. You can sort of create these mini, uh, what the term that we're using is mobility hubs, uh, sort of everywhere, right? Any retail outlet, any rest area, rest stop, um, you know, parking lot anywhere, wherever you plan on stopping, you can actually double up, right? Because wherever you park, for instance, you're doing an activity or stopping for lunch, that's a perfect time uh, to plug it in, right? Right providing that the infrastructure exists. And that's something that's uh, happening right now. We're starting to build out that infrastructure. We're starting to understand where people go uh, and stay. Because if we look at the general usage of a vehicle, most cars stay parked, right? Think about your car right now. How often do you drive it? Right. You know, most of the days you're not driving it. And that's the perfect time to sort of recharge it. In a road trip scenario, what you're looking at is, uh, very similar, you know, to a gas station way uh, of thinking of planning, uh, but with smart uh, route optimization uh, and smart planning, you can sort uh, you can start to develop the right uh, waypoints, right? And now you're not stuck with going to just gas stations. You can go to different places in between. Um, you know, I remember when I was much younger and I was doing road trips, right? And we would stop at the world's largest ball of yarn or whatever it is <laughs> yeah. and, and stay there for 30 minutes and take a couple of pictures. Well, now that 30 minutes become useful, right? Because you stop, plug it in, you got 30 minutes of charge, you can go take a picture with the big ball of yarn, yep. get back in the car and you're now back up to 80%. You can keep going. Right. It's going to be, it's going to be weird for those dads that are out there that were just like, I just got to get to Florida I'm not going to stop. Yeah. I'm not stopping it South of the border. You can't No, I don't care how many signs are coming. Um, it, but it does feel like your, your trip is going to have to be planned around sort of recharging times, but then you're also recharging yourself because you're going to get food or go to the bathroom, but it's going to be longer than a typical rest stop, I think, in order to sort of, um, meet that demand for, for the, um, the infrastructure. So uh, the next question then is, uh, where are we in terms of sort of a universal charger? or universal adapter type thing for a lot of these cars. Cause you know, I think Tesla has their own little charger and it doesn't necessarily conform with some of the other ones that are out there. Are we working towards sort of a standard so that that can happen? Cause again, when you go to the gas station, you, there's one type of plug, a plug, a pump, you know, <laughs> it goes in, you know, everyone knows how to pump gas. Or it fits, right? Should. It fits. You don't yeah, sit there and think about, Hey, right. if I go to a gas station, it's, if this one will fit my, you know, the nozzle will fit right. my car. Or, tank, or right? like your cell phone where you have, you know, six different dongles that you have to sort of figure out which is, and, and there's all sorts of different ports. Like that's not going to happen, right? It's going to be one universal adapter, right? Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Hopefully. Yeah. Uh, well, what, what we've done is create certain standards, uh, you know, around the charging uh, plug itself. 
Uh, and so there's been a lot of, uh, there's been widespread adoption around what's called the CCS standard. Uh, so here in North America, we use CCS one standard, uh, which does have adapters for the other um, uh, plugs that are not that standard, right? And so when we're thinking about the charging infrastructure, uh, as we're building new charging stations, um, the new charging stations will have that standard. Uh, and that's been sort of um, the way forward. So any new stations that are being built today will have that standard. You did mention um, Tesla with their unique proprietary charger. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've probably seen in the news recently that uh, a certain amount of those Tesla chargers have now been open uh, to the new standard, uh, the CCS standard, so that cars uh, using that one can now go over there and start plugging it and charging it, vice versa as well, right? Because when we're thinking about um, this uh, charging infrastructure across America, right, it only helps everyone if we all have access to right, it. Right, right. And the other issue that I, I that I know that we haven't talked about yet is in terms of pricing for sort of recharging. Uh, right now, you don't necessarily know what the price is for a recharge. There's no big sign that has the, you know, with a gas station, again, $3.34 a gallon or whatever it is in your neighborhood. Um, are we going to sort of see that with some of these or is pricing going to be sort of built into sort of some other bundling package for a restaurant? Like, you know, if you stop at the Denny's, you get a, you get a, you know, a big meal and you get your charging for free or, you know, it, it, the pricing models and then how you're going to charge for that are, are boggling the mind as well. Right. Yeah, what's going on right now is that there are two different, uh, there's a couple of different ways to approach this, um, you know, primarily with EV still being a very niche market right now, you're seeing a lot of uh, places bundle charging in as, I don't want to say loss leader, but it sort of helps drive traffic to the location. Mm -hmm. You'll see that at some supermarkets and at some uh, shopping malls, there will be free charging and there'll be advertising for that to try to get them uh, to get the drivers out there to use that service uh, for the free charging and then end up shopping or, or you know, being a, a patron of the establishment. Uh, as we're looking into more of a public charging environment, there currently isn't a standardized pricing uh, model. Uh, and it's kind of changing because of the different state to state um, laws uh, centered around how to quote unquote sell electricity. Yeah. Right? Certain states, um, you know, do not allow um, charging networks to sell electricity by the kilowatt, you know, the actual consumption. So they have to use time uh, as that uh, criteria to charge. Uh, and that's something that we also need to push as a national standard one way or the other in terms of ways to charge it. There's cons and pros to each yeah, one of those. Yeah. Um, and then as we start thinking about all of this, you know, it's, it's, this is a very, very new way of thinking about life, right? Um, you know, moving forward in Europe, I saw a picture, uh, of an actual electric, uh, car charging station that actually has that, um, that gas station type sign where yep. it says X amount of cents per kilowatt hour. Um, you know, and to think about that, that's that's indicative of the future, right? right? At some point, we're going to start to need to understand how much things cost uh, before we get there, right? right? So we can start using what I talked about earlier, smart routing optimization, so you can start picking 
you know, the, the smart um, or the most cost efficient, you know, ways to, to charge your car. Yeah. Uh, and that really is driven by a better um, ecosystem, right? We're talking about partnerships here, we're talking about ecosystem, we're talking about data. Uh, at some point, all of this needs to be open communication, uh, and we all need to share that data freely so that if I'm getting into a car, this is the, fi- the future that I envision, yeah. where you get into a car and you put in your route, or you don't even have to put in a route because it knows where you're going based on your calendar or whatever. It starts mapping that out and tells you exactly how much things will cost right. and what uh, what you'll end up paying for that entire trip, what you'll you know pay at each gas station, and you can change it, right? If you can say like, oh, instead of this gas station, I mean, uh, instead of this charging station, I'm going to plan to stop and get lunch somewhere, and that way I can stop at this other station that's going to be a little bit cheaper, a little bit out of the way, but I get to stop and have lunch. Right, right, right. So we've we've talked a lot of a lot of different challenges that that uh, that people are facing in this industry. You know what? What do you think is the biggest hurdle that that we have to overcome to to get to that next level or get to that you know vision that you're talking about? It really does come back to the uh, the greater charging infrastructure, right? Uh, if we take um, ICE vehicles today, and you talked about um, road trips, right? Yep. If, if we take an ICE vehicle today, that's actually not a concern of mine, right? Because I know that here in the U.S. and uh, North America and Europe or anywhere else that I've traveled, gas stations isn't something that I plan around. Versus today, if you ask any EV driver that's going to drive outside of their home area, that is what they plan around, right? Uh, and if we don't have a ubiquitous uh, network um, that is open to the public uh, and that is, you know, sort of one standard, it does make it very, very confusing and very, very um, hard to utilize. Okay. Right? So I'm moving forward and I'm going to drive cross country. That shouldn't be a problem. Yeah. For me, so right? the biggest challenge is just building out that infrastructure so that people have more choice and don't have to necessarily feel weird about running out of juice in their car. Right. Right. Yeah. And as that technology sort of starts improving, we start thinking less and less about the range of a vehicle, right? Mm-hmm. That range anxiety starts to go away. Cause you know, as I early, as I mentioned really, really early on in the show, you don't go into uh, a dealership and ask the salesperson, how big is my gas tank? Right. Because that's just not a thing that you think about. And that's the future that I envision. We no longer start thinking about, um, you know, how, how, what the range of my electric vehicle because of how ubiquitous charging is going to right. be. So with, with all of these challenges, are you generally optimistic about, you know, us getting there? Or do you think that at some point we're just going to not be able to figure it out or it's going to take longer than I think people are predicting? Like, what's your general sort of uh, outlook on this? Are you, are, no, no, I, I do believe we are all in uh, for an electric future when it comes to transportation. Uh, you know, all signs are pointing that way. Uh, Technology is moving that way. Uh, everyone's making announcements in that direction. Um, and we're doing a lot of work in that space to make it happen. Um, and, but it takes a lot of buy-in, uh, and it requires a lot of partners and everyone to be uh, a part of the system uh, to start driving that forward. And do you think it's going to happen like by 2030, 2050 timeframe? Or you know, what's your, your gut feeling say about the timeframe? Yeah, um, I don't want to nail down a specific date. <laughs> I'm not going to hold you uh, to it. I'm not going to call, as, call as you in always, 20 years. <laughs> yeah, but um, you know, if you can look at the um, the acceleration 
of uh, manufacturing and purchase. Uh, you know, in certain places in the U.S., we can see now that electric vehicle car registrations um, is parity or surpassing ICE vehicle uh, registrations. And that's a big indicator of the uh, market adoption uh, and the public adoption of electric vehicles. Um, so it only makes sense um, to say that we're going to get there really, really quickly. Um, and, you know, it'll be here before we know it. Yeah. And then all I have to do after that is just figure out how to get the back to the future car uh, with with Mr. Fusion and then be able to time travel or that's a whole other can of worms, right? That's a whole nother show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll Nick, do that next, right? Yeah. Nick, uh, thanks. Thanks. Thanks so much for being on the show with us. Uh, it was a great conversation. I loved having you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a fun time to chat. All right. And that's all the time we've got for today's episode. Don't forget to like this video, subscribe to the channel, uh, add any comments that you have below on this topic, and uh, join us every week for new episodes of Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. Thanks for watching.